Across America, BP supports more than 275,000 jobs to keep energy flowing. Jobs like building grid-scale solar energy in Ohio and producing gas with fewer operational emissions in Texas. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Have you heard you can listen to your favorite news podcasts ad-free? Good news. With Amazon Music, you have access to the largest catalog of ad-free top podcasts included with your Prime membership. To start listening, download the Amazon Music app for free or go to amazon.com slash ad-free news podcasts. That's amazon.com slash ad-free news podcasts to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads. This is the Tom Hartman Program. As my ever-enthusiastic producer, Sean Taylor, said, could it be Trump impeachment? Oh, we love you, Sean. Yes, let's hope so. And by the way, let's throw in Mike Pence. I'll get to that in just a minute. I mean, this story is metastasizing, and the response of the Democrats to it is starting to really, really step up. And today is not the day. Nancy Pelosi is meeting with the entire Democratic caucus in the U.S. Capitol at the House of Representatives. And my prediction, for what it's worth, but this is, I think, a well-informed prediction, is that what they're going to decide is that on Thursday, when the Director of National Security, or National Intelligence, the DNI, has been subpoenaed to come before the House Intelligence Committee and testify as to why he is refusing to share the whistleblower alert with Congress, which is required by law. This isn't something that would be a nice thing to do, or wouldn't it be a nice option, or maybe, hey, gee, maybe one of these days we should, we should tell Congress what's going on over here in the intelligence community. No, the intelligence community is overseen, as is all of government. All of these agencies, which fall under the purview of the executive branch, all of them, under our system of government, now, obviously, Donald Trump doesn't understand this, neither does Rudy Giuliani, and they certainly don't understand it over at Fox so-called news, but our system of government is based on checks and balances. It's based on a distribution of power. It's designed specifically to avoid a concentration of power, specifically because of people like Donald Trump. And so the law says that if you've got a whistleblower in the intelligence community, you have, you have seven days to tell Congress. That's the law. And this guy is breaking the law right now as we speak. So on Thursday, he's supposed to show up and testify before Adam Schiff's committee. And if he testifies, and if he turns over the whistleblower complaint, and if it's not redacted, then... You know, that may be the most effective way that Donald Trump can shut down the impeachment against him. Unless the whistleblower complaint itself is so filled with bombshells that there's no way not to impeach, which is very, very possible. Otherwise, why is he hiding it? Just like, why is he hiding his tax returns? Well, probably because they show that he's in debt to a bunch of mobsters and, and foreign oligarchs. But in any case, Thursday, when that happens... 
I'm not sharing inside info here with you. I'm telling you my opinion, but I'm fairly well informed on these things. I believe what is going to happen is that they're going to have a discussion about how do we deal with this guy if he tries to pull a Corey Lewandowski? How do we deal with him if he openly sneers at us? Or how do we deal with him if he's very nice and polite, but simply says, no, I'm sorry, I can't do this. I can't share this with you. Or how do we deal with him if he tries to give us a redacted version? Keep in mind, the House Intelligence Committee has still not seen an unredacted version of the Mueller report. There are things in the Mueller report that may well lead to an impeachment, but we have no idea because Bill Barr is still sitting on the damn thing. Congress has still not seen an unredacted copy of the Mueller report. So anyhow, on Thursday when that happens, any of those scenarios plays out. Are they going to use inherent contempt? I was blown away reading the Washington Post last night that these national security Democrats, in quotes, and I don't mean scare quotes, I mean, like, you know, this is, this is a group of Democrats who ran for Congress on their own history, basically, on the fact that they were military veterans, defense veterans, intelligence veterans. Gill Cisneros of California, Jason Crow of Colorado, Chrissy Houlihan of Pennsylvania, Elaine Luria of Virginia, Mickey Sherrill of New Jersey, Alyssa Slotkin of Michigan, and Abigail Spanberger of Virginia. They're all brand new Democrats. You probably never heard any of their names before because they've been the kind of people who just keep their heads down, do their job, go about their business, and they're not, you know, grandstanding or trying to get in the media, and they're, they, you know, they don't want to be president when they grow up, or even senators. And they wrote this op-ed in the Washington Post last night. These Democrats who have opposed impeachment up until this point. And they wrote, and I quote, The President of the United States may have used his position to pressure a foreign country into investigating a political opponent. And he sought to use U.S. taxpayer dollars as leverage to do it. He allegedly sought to use the very security assistance dollars appropriated by Congress to create stability in the world to help root out corruption and to protect our national security interests for his own personal gain. These allegations are stunning, both in the national security threat they pose and the potential corruption they represent. We also know that on September 9th, the Inspector General for the Intelligence Community notified Congress of a credible and urgent whistleblower complaint related to national security and potentially involving these allegations. Despite federal law, requiring the release of this complaint to Congress. This administration has blocked its release to Congress. This flagrant disregard for the law cannot stand. To uphold and defend our Constitution, and by the way, keep in mind, all of these people took an oath to uphold and defend not the United States of America, not the people of the United States of America, but the Constitution of the United States of America. I mean, building that oath into the Constitution itself, so it would be administered to office holders, was one of the really brilliant things that the framers did. Anyhow, back to this letter. This flagrant disregard for the law cannot stand. To uphold and defend our Constitution, Congress must determine whether the president was indeed willing to use his power and withhold security assistance funds to persuade a foreign country to assist him in an upcoming election. If these allegations are true, 
We believe these, these actions represent an impeachable offense. We call on our colleagues in Congress to consider the use of all congressional authorities available to us, including the power of inherent contempt and impeachment hearings to address these new allegations, find the truth, and protect our national security. Now, A, they have said, oh yeah, let's talk about impeachment. These Democratic members of the House who up to this point have been saying, impeachment? Impeachment? No, no, we, we, don't, we don't want us thinking impeachment. Nancy Pelosi last night on a flight from New York to Washington, D.C., read this op-ed. And Jeff Zeleny, who is a reporter for CNN, by coincidence was on the same airplane. And he saw her reading this op-ed. And he asked her, he says, what are you thinking? And she said, I've given advance notice. The lawmakers are planning to join forces. She's not going to prejudge what's going to come out of the meeting today, but said, quote, it will be a big week. Last night when she started reading that op-ed, there were 146 members, Democrats, members of the Democratic caucus, who were in favor of impeachment hearings. As of this morning, there were 158, that includes uh, the, the entire Michigan delegation, and Representative Justin Amash. By the way, this is from a great roundup piece that Joan McCarter did over at Daily Kos. And plus the seven who wrote the op-ed, I just gave you their names, and then they were joined this morning. I mean, they're dropping like dominoes. Representatives Angie Craig and Dean Phillips of Minnesota, Representatives Vincente Gonzalez of Texas and John Larson of Connecticut, Antonio Delgado of New York, Colin Alred of Texas, and Michigan's Haley Stevens. And then, perhaps the most important, Rosa DeLauro, who is, she represents Connecticut. She's, you know, kind of a big money Democrat. She's very close friends with Nancy Pelosi. This is the establishment's establishment. And last night, after this op-ed was published in the Washington Post, she issued a statement saying that Trump's actions regarding Ukraine represent, quote, a reckless abuse of power and, quote, a turning point. She said, Congress must meet this pivotal moment in our nation's history with decisive action. Now, it may well go beyond just Donald Trump trying to corrupt the president of Ukraine for his own political purposes. It looks like he's dragged the State Department into this, and he's dragged Mike Pence into this. And keep in mind, if you impeach both Trump and Pence, and I'll get to that in a minute. If you impeach both of them, the Constitution provides the third in line to the presidency to be the Speaker of the House. Now, I remember back in the 90s when, when Newt Gingrich was impeaching Bill Clinton, and he was just giddy about the possibility that he could get Al Gore involved in this thing so he could become president. This is getting interesting. So the question, you know, I think it's time to clean a house, right? I mean, it's time for us to seriously participate and figure out how to do it, participate in this process. Yesterday, I was suggesting that you call 202-225-3121 or 224-3121, your choice. Used to be House and Senate. Now they both go to the same place. It's the, it's the Capitol switchboard. That you call and talk to your representative, your member of the House of Representatives, and both of your senators and say, I support impeachment. And a lot of you did. 
And for all we know, a lot of this activity that we're seeing today was the result of so many of you calling yesterday. We'll see how this shakes out. Amy in San Diego. Hey, Amy, what's up? Hi, Tom. I'm totally support impeachment. And even if it went to the Senate and they kicked him out of office, I don't think this guy is ever leaving. What is in place to make him actually leave? Well, this is the U.S. military. <laughs> I mean, it's... But he's the commander in chief. I just think that. Well, no, hang on, just hang on, just a second, Amy. The okay, Uniform sorry. Code of Military Justice requires members of the military, and presumably there's similar rules for the Secret Service, to follow any quote lawful order, not any order. And if Donald Trump is impeached and removed from office, then he would not lawfully be able to give orders. I don't believe. I mean, that would be a military coup. Somebody in the military would have to stand up and say, you know, I'm in favor of overthrowing everything. I, I, I just can't imagine that happening. Yeah, well, if he loses the election, I can imagine him saying something like, there's voter suppression. This is a national emergency. I have to stay in office till we figure this out. Or, right. you know, I just don't think this guy's leaving. I think he's going to do everything he can to avoid leaving. You know, it's the old cliche about the most dangerous rat is a cornered rat. And Donald Trump is very much cornered right now. He knows that once he's out of office, he's probably going to go to jail. And so are other members of the Trump crime family. But, I hope so. But yeah, me too. But he, <laughs> and he's going to do everything he can to avoid that. And I wouldn't put it past him to try to start a war to avoid that and thus yes, be able to declare a state of emergency. And originally, yes. it looked to me like he was trying to start a war with Venezuela. And Venezuela said, we're not going to play. And so now he's right. trying to start a war with Iran. And if he, if he starts a war with Iran... It could very quickly engulf the entire region, and then we really would have an emergency. Now, keep in mind, Franklin Roosevelt didn't suspend elections. Abraham Lincoln didn't suspend elections. Woodrow Wilson didn't suspend elections. Those were three presidents who arguably could have, you know, probably sold it to the American people had they been inclined that, you know, we just need to, you know, just just a year, just a pause. But, you know, none of them ever tried. So I don't think that he would be able to pull this off. And the fact that Mitt Romney is speaking out, that Justin Amash has taken this stand, I think this guy is on his last legs. I really do. Oh, I sure hope so, Tom. Well, I appreciate everything you do. Love your show. Thank you, Amy. Thanks so much for the call. It's great to hear from you. Thanks for watching Free Speech there in San Diego. So CBD oil is just extraordinary stuff, and New Leaf Naturals makes some great CBD oil. CBD oil is non-intoxicating, so it's great if you want the health benefits of cannabinoids without getting high. It's non-toxic. It has potent pain-relieving and anti-inflammatory properties. And the brand Louise and I trust the most is New Leaf Naturals, NU Leaf Naturals. It's the highest quality CBD oil on the market. 100% organic, highly concentrated, contains no additional additives, grown right here in the USA, and the only ingredient is hemp, so the product remains in its most pure and simple form. Go to newleafnaturals.com. It's newleafnaturals.com. Save 30% off and get free shipping in the U.S. when you use the codes TOM, spelled T-H-O-M. Go to newleafnaturals.com for premium cannabinoid wellness. It's only one place, newleafnaturals.com. That's newleafnaturals.com. Use the code TOM, spelled T-H-O-M, newleafnaturals.com.
Welcome back. So uh, we've got seven freshman Democrats, the all national security folks, serious, hardcore, well-credentialed, highly credible. Nobody thinks they're just, you know, they're the BS folks. Actually, I looked up one of them. I, I was going to go through and do all of them, and then I got busy. But I just, you know, plugged the name of one of them into OpenSecrets.org. And, and what I'm seeing is, you know, just these are not people who are indebted to big corporations. These are not people who are taking big corporate money. But whether they are or not, it's solid, right in the middle Democrats who are saying enough. The entire Democratic delegation from the state of Michigan, enough, plus Justin Amash. So now the plot thickens. You could argue that Donald Trump saying to Mick Mulvaney, put that assistance to Ukraine on hold for a little while. And then after a week or so, as it kind of sinks in over in Ukraine, that that, that $250 million they were planning on getting ain't coming. Trump calls up the president of Ukraine, Mr. Zelazny, and says, uh, hey, nice little country you got there. Be a shame if the, if, you know, the Russians came in and kicked your butt. Um, I, I'm guessing you'd like to have some military equipment, wouldn't you? Well, help me get Joe Biden to help me take Joe Biden down. You know, let's quote, clean up the corruption. And uh, maybe I can send you the 250 million. Hell, maybe I can send you even more. And then the whistleblower and, and then Dan Coats quits. And then the whistleblower report gets filed. And then the story breaks about the whistleblower thing on, on, uh, on 9-11. And, and the next day or two days later, Donald Trump says to Mick Mulvaney and says to the whoever, okay, go ahead and give them, don't just give them the money. Give them the money plus an extra $150 million. Give them $400 million, almost a half a billion. Now, what did they agree to do for the extra money? Well, that's not really clear right now. It's not even clear that, they're, that that extra money is actually extra money. It might have been you know, something that was part of the original appropriation. It might have been the reporting was wrong. We don't know yet. But we need to find this stuff out. But So anyhow, it's bad enough that if these allegations are true, that Donald Trump tried to corrupt the president of Ukraine, and enlist a foreign power to help his election, just like he tried to do in 2016 when he said, Russia, if you're listening, you know, hack, hack the DNC, please, hack Hillary, please. And, and of course they did. And the rest is history. So he's trying, to, he's trying to do it again. But it's even worse if he has dragged the State Department and the vice president into this. Then there's going to be absolute hell to pay. Which takes us to Rudy Giuliani on Sean Hannity's program last night. Last night on Hannity's program, Rudy Giuliani was asked, Sean Hannity asked this just straight up. Did our State Department ask you to go on a mission for them? This would be to Ukraine. Now, keep in mind, if Giuliani up to this point had been saying, oh, I went as Trump's private lawyer. Well, that's starting to look kind of bad, right? Trump's private lawyer is, is basically you know, trying to extort the president of a foreign country. So last night, here's how Giuliani responded. This is, this is, these are his verbatim words in response to Sean Hannity saying, did the State Department have anything to do with this? And obviously somebody whispered to Sean before Giuliani came on saying, hey, hey, Sean, ask him about the State Department. I mean, it might have been Giuliani who told him that. So anyhow, Sean Hannity, did our State Department ask you to go on a mission for them? Giuliani, they did. The State Department called me 
and said, would I take a call from Mr. Yermak, who's number two or three to the president-elect, who is now the president of Ukraine? I wasn't operating on my own. I was operating at the request of the State Department. Now, if that's true, then this becomes a conspiracy, not just a president behaving badly. It becomes a conspiracy inside the executive branch of government that involves the State Department and maybe Mike Pence. Now, here, this is another one. This is, uh, in fact, Raw Story and TPM both writing about this. Mike Pence held a press conference in Poland on September 2nd that pretty much nobody paid any attention to until now people are going back and looking at the transcript. And here's a couple of phrases. Pence was talking to Zelensky, the president of Ukraine. He said, quote, we discussed America's support for Ukraine and the upcoming decision the president will make on the latest tranche of financial support in great detail. As President Trump had me make clear, we have great concerns about issues of corruption. That's an expectation the American people have, and the president has expressed very clearly. Well, this is interesting. So Mike Pence is in on this, too? By the way, keep in mind, Trump and Giuliani have been shaking down Ukraine for years. I mean, this was what Manafort was doing. This is crazy. So I have shared with you how I think this is going to play out, and I think it's going to get us to impeachment hearings, anyway, by the end of the week. Tom Harbin here with you. We've been talking about all the various crimes that Donald Trump has committed. David Leonhardt has a great list, 40 of them in today's New York Times. We were talking about Judd Legum's newsletter today, popular.info, and how there are now a series of I love Trump, I love America, I love the military Facebook pages that reach more Americans right now every day than the New York Times does that are all being run out of Ukraine. Uh, which is raising the question, has Ukraine already been corrupted by Donald Trump? Um, it's just so many different moving pieces, so much going on. And I like a legal and historic perspective on this. Ralph Nader's on the line with us, the lawyer and author of numerous books. His most recent, How the Rats Reformed Congress. Former presidential candidate, founder of the Center for Study of Responsive Law, CSRL.org. Nader.org, of course, is his website, his Twitter handle, at Ralph Nader. I highly recommend his podcast to you. You will find me on one of them from, you know, a month or so ago. Ralph, welcome back to the program. Thank you very much, Tom. It is always great talking with you. So uh, I'd like to know what your thoughts are on this entire issue. You know, the, the kind of broad scope of impeachment, how it applies specifically to Donald Trump, what the Democrats have been doing, what you think they should be doing. Let's dig into it. Well, the impeachment power is exclusively reserved to the Congress. The House impeaches, which is like an indictment, only not a criminal one, and sends the impeachment actions over to the Senate for an open trial uh, chaired by the Chief Justice of the Supreme Court. Donald Trump is the most impeachable president in American history, hands down. When you look at uh, the near-certain impeachment of Nixon before he quit it was basically for obstructing justice regarding the burglary of the Democratic National Headquarters at the Watergate Complex in Washington and defying a congressional subpoena. When you look at the impeachment of Clinton, later acquitted in the Senate, 
it was lying under oath about sex and all the rest of it. When you look at the violations of Donald Trump, it's hard to end the list. He is dismantling the faithfully execution of the laws. Uh, under the Constitution, you're supposed to faithfully execute the laws. You can't enforce all the laws That's all the time. That's his prosecutorial discretion. Right. However, he puts people in charge of agencies like the Bureau of Land Management for the public lands, like uh, the EPA, uh, like the Auto Safety Agency. The, he puts people at FAA who don't really like regulation. In some cases, they don't want the agency to exist, like Scott Pruitt, who departed under a hail of corrupt charges at EPA. So that's one clear enforceable impeachable offense. I mean, you're talking about a president that's stripping the health, safety, and life-saving protections enacted by Congress. Although Ronald only, Reagan did that same stuff. I mean, he was the yeah. first president to put an anti-labor person in charge of the Labor Department that was specifically created by Congress with the Wagner Act to have oversight uh, and advocacy on behalf of American workers. Yeah, you make the point I was about to make. Other presidents have committed serious impeachable offenses. They've gone to war without a declaration. That's Hillary and Obama's war on, uh, on Libya. George W. Bush, Dick Cheney, notoriously invaded and blew apart Iraq without a declaration of war. And that's what's holding a lot of this back, Tom, because the Democrats in the House are saying, gee, you know, they're going to say some of our presidents have engaged in impeachable offenses and they weren't impeached. Well, once you go down that trail, then you allow someone like Donald Trump to multiply the impeachable offenses, blowing apart the power of the purse exclusively to the Congress, uh, allocating uh, money for the wall from the Defense Department budget most recently, for example, saying he can attack anybody and blow up anybody in the world, saying publicly, as president, I can do anything I want, producing one major impeachable offense after another, serious ones. Abuse of the public trust, a key uh, definition of high crimes and misdemeanor by Alexander Hamilton. Oh, I mean, you start with all kinds of things that he's done. That it, Some of them are listed in that David Leonhardt article you pointed out in the New York Times. And so what he does is he institutionalizes more reckless violations of the Constitution, statutory law, international treaties, and gets away with it. In other words, it keeps getting worse with every president who is immunized from impeachment because other presidents have done some of the same thing. You're going down the road where we develop a monarch, we develop a king, we develop a president who thinks he can do anything domestically, spending money recklessly um, and uh, violating campaign finance laws, uh, armed force anywhere, drones, so on and so forth. Uh, and that's where we're at. Now, this latest thing on Ukraine, where he calls the head, the new head of the Ukrainian state and basically urges an investigation into the dealings of Joe Biden's son with some Ukrainian gas company, that seemed to have really changed the course in the last 48 hours in the House of Representatives. According to the New York Times and Washington Post, you have more and more members who are now going to register pro-impeachment. They already have a small majority. You have Nancy Pelosi, the speaker, in effect saying this may have crossed the line finally. 
you have Adam Schiff, who's head of the Intelligence Committee, saying that's one too many for Trump. And most critically, some of the so-called moderate Democrats who won in Trump districts in 2018 are indicating they're going to change their mind. So impeachment authority in the Constitution, Tom, is not a political calculation. It's a constitutional duty. So the House has to do its duty regardless of the Senate. Uh, what it does. They can send the articles of impeachment after 20 days of nationally televised hearings, changing public opinion even more in the direction of impeachment. Send it over to Mitch McConnell, send it to the Republic, say, here, go around the country on TV and defend this uh, this man. Go around and which violate is, Which is the box that the Democrats would put Republicans in if they did this. I completely agree. Looking back historically, Jerry Ford pardoned Richard Nixon, but he let John Mitchell rot in jail, the, you know, Nixon's attorney general, among others. There, I, I believe there were 55 people indicted in the Nixon administration, and some 13 of them went to prison. All three, the Nixon administration, the, the Reagan administration, and the, the George W. Bush administration, all had multiple people, you know, accused of felonies in their administration. Among Carter, Clinton and Obama, the sum total was one person, and that was Susan McDougall, who refused to testify, you know, uh, what she thought were lies about uh, Bill Clinton. But back to where I was going with this, with Nixon, basically, uh, Nixon got a pass, and subsequent presidents decided not to go back there, but they let his people sink. In 1992, when Ollie North and Elliot Abrams and three other people were indicted, and a couple of them had already been convicted, William Barr, the then Attorney General, recommended to George Herbert Walker Bush on his way out of office, uh, Christmas Eve of 1992, that after he'd already lost the election, that he pardon all those guys, which he did, which is why we still have them. So, so that's stepping back from whole, you know, accountability even yeah. farther. And then, and then after Bush and Cheney committed what I thought were you know, clear war crimes, I mean, violations of the Geneva Convention and our treaties with the United Nations with regard to Afghanistan and Iraq, um, President Obama said, well, you know, we're not going to look backwards, we're going to look forward. And, in other words, we're going to have no accountability for these guys. Um, is this not just the logical consequence of that progression, and have I accurately characterized it? You have. I mean, I've written a book on this, basically, how Clinton, Bush, and Obama set the stage before Donald Trump. Look, he's watched television all these years, and he sees what Clinton got away with in terms of his problems with women. And he says, ah, you know, I don't have to worry about that. Uh, Clinton got away with it. He was reelected. Then he looks at Bush uh, getting away with criminal wars of aggression, violating the Constitution, lying his way into uh, Iraq, as Congressman Ron Paul put it. And he said, oh, you know, I like to use power. Uh, that's, that's the kind of power I can use and get away with. And Bush was reelected. And then along comes Obama. And he doesn't prosecute Wall Street for all their crimes. And, of course, Trump was always one step ahead of the sheriff in his business dealings. And he said, oh, that's pretty good. You know, I don't have to worry about them coming after my business dealings. And then Obama shows that uh, he can go anywhere in the world with drones and destroy anyone, including American citizens. And he said, wow, I mean, this is the kind of power I want. You know, as president, Tom, he has praised named dictators, saying, I wish I had that kind of power. Yeah. And he has said publicly, uh, I can do anything I want as, as, as I'm, I'm president. So we're dealing here with 
uh, a critical mass of disaster in terms of constitutional government, in terms of compliance with the Constitution, and replacing it with lawlessness, with rampant violations of treaties, as you pointed out, of statutes, and of the Constitution, and getting away with it. And that happens. It's over for our form of government. We have a monarch in secular name. Yeah. We're talking to Ralph Nader. Ralph, can you stick around for a bit? Sure. Okay, great. Uh, Ralph Nader is with us, uh, providing some context and some history and, and some legal insight into all of this. So picture your face in a mirror. See all those wrinkles around your eyes? Crow's feet? Under eye bags? Now imagine they're gone. I'm not talking about some risky, expensive surgery. Just gone. Poof! In minutes. It's called Plexiderm, a clinically studied serum that visibly eliminates your wrinkles, crow's feet, and under eye bags in minutes. It's the edge you've been looking for. Don't believe it? I didn't either until I tried it. Now I don't have to imagine anymore. I look just like me, only younger. Simply put, I'm blown away by the results. Plexiderm can give you the confidence you'll need to be yourself at work or out with friends. The best, best part is Plexiderm goes on clear, so nobody will know you're using it. Unless, of course, you tell them like I just did. Go to Plexiderm. Go to, excuse me, go to triplexiderm.com and use my code TOM, T-H-O-M, for 50% off plus an additional 10 bucks off. That's right, 50% off plus an extra $10 off. This offer is also available by calling 1-800-685-1292 and mentioning the code TOM. Plexiderm is backed by a 30-day money-back guarantee. Visit triplexiderm.com today and use the code TOM at checkout. That's triplexiderm.com. You're listening to Tom Hartman. If we took impeachment off the table for just a moment, just for the purposes of this conversation, I, I do think that we're moving in that direction, but God only knows. What are the other remedies that we've seen in American history to restrain an out-of-control or even criminal president? Well, the courts are obviously at the top of that list. And what's the situation? Well, he's, he said he'll be exonerated by his friends on the Supreme Court, even if he loses at lower levels. In fact, whenever he hears a congressional committee saying, that, uh, saying to Trump, you have flouted subpoenas, you have told witnesses, some of whom worked for you, not to testify before the House, and you have, in effect, obstructed the fundamental constitutional authority given to Congress to investigate the executive branch, and, and you, you think you can get away with it, uh, we're going to sue you. Well, the minute he hears that a congressional committee has filed suit in federal district court, he opens the champagne bottle. Right, he's been hearing he that his open, whole entire one, life because, from, from because contractors. Of the delays, the delays, and because, you know, 2020 will be long gone before it reaches the Supreme Court where he has a 5-4 majority on executive power. So you can rule that out. What else? Well, you have citizen suits. Well, the courts dismiss those, saying you have no standing to challenge government illegality, citizen. Get lost. Or they say that's a political question that has to be decided between Congress and the U.S. foreign policy. Get lost. All right. So who, who else do you have? Well, uh, you have the Congress. That's the last resort uh, that the framers of our Constitution uh, gave authority to, uh, to make sure we don't have another King George III. And that's why they put the 
confirmation of presidential nominations in the hands of the Senate for judges and for cabinet secretaries and sub-cabinet level officers. That's why they put the war power in the hands of the Congress, because they did not want another uh, King George. So, and informally, Tom, I just wrote an article on this. You can see it, uh, get it from uh, Nader.org. It's called From Trump Tower to Trump Power Over Law. He has basically, in a very cunning way, I know that people make fun of him. He's, he's ignorant. He doesn't read. He doesn't think. He doesn't know much about the government he's supposed to be presiding over, to put it mildly, other than to dismantle it when it stands for the people and not for the big businesses that he protects, that, that basically he's covered his ground brilliantly. Uh, he said publicly once, as long as I have the military and the police on my side, uh, I've got, uh, I'm, I'm okay. Of course, he floods the military with money, more than the generals even want. Yeah. Uh, he flatters like the Duterte. police all the time. And then look at the other bases. He's labor unions. He's got these labor leaders scared because a third of their members voted for Trump. So that organized labor as, as an opponent is knocked out. So he's covered a lot of his, of, of his grounds here. Uh, don't dismiss him. He's extremely cunning when it comes to perpetuating his power. Marvin here with you. We're talking with Ralph Nader. Ralph, we were just talking about how, or you were just talking about how, A, the courts are not going to constrain Donald Trump. He's been laughing at lawsuits uh, ever since he started in the construction business. He said literally thousands of contractors sue him for not paying and everything else. He, uh, he's not going to be held accountable in the courts, certainly not within a time frame between now and the election. That the labor unions are afraid of him because a third of their members voted for him. That Basically, all we're left with is Congress. Is that is that really the bottom line? That the literally the only way Donald Trump can be held to account is if the House of Representatives chooses to impeach him, and is impeachment the only option? Well, until the election of November 2020, but the one thing that could trip him up is the media. Of course, he's got the media by the profitable neck, so to speak. As long as he's on the offensive, as long as his tweets are soliloquy, no rebuttal, sends nicknames all over the place, lies thousands of times, falsehoods, fantasies about what he's achieved, etc., the media is a patsy because his outrages get them a lot of readers and a lot of ratings in radio and TV. Right. Once he's on the defensive, the anger of the media it being called enemy of the people, being excoriated by name, uh, uh, urging crowds at his rallies to turn their uh, indignant gaze on these uh, reporters uh, with their little pads, frightened. Uh, that's going to begin to boomerang. And that's up to the Democrats in the House with the televised hearings, calmly examining one witness after another. There are constitutional law experts, Tom, who say his total 100% flouting of congressional subpoenas, congressional uh, uh, demands for witnesses to appear and testify under oath is, is all enough for impeachable offense. Well, that right was Article there. 3 against Nixon. Anything else. That destroys the separation of powers critical to our federal system. Yeah, that was Article 3 of the impeachment proceedings against Nixon, as I recall, was, uh, you know, refusal to respond to a congressional subpoena. That's right. And he was a, a piker compared to Bush. And Bush does it openly. It's another thing. 
The other presidents, when they violated the Constitution, they didn't brag about what they did. The Nixon slunk into a corner. This guy goes all over the country basically hand, handing the impeachable offenses to the Democrats in the House. He has written the articles of impeachment that he can be held accountable for. It's the easiest impeachable move you can imagine. And it also will educate the public, including his supporters, that when you go down the, the, the road of despotism and clothe it with uh, flowery lies, uh, <clears throat> there's no one who is immune from being subservient to this de- de- despotism. And you've got to watch out very carefully about how he's replaced members of his cabinet who would stand up to him politely and say, Mr. President, that's not proper. That's Secretary of Defense Mattis or his uh, national, uh, his uh, chief of staff, Kelly, uh, and uh, and uh, the Secretary of State, Tillerson. He's gotten rid of all those, and he's put yes people uh, in their place, which is a very dangerous wag-the-dog possibility. We know what that can do with his belligerent talk to Iran about Iran and other places. Yeah, God forbid. Ralph Nader. Ralph, it's always great talking with you. Thank you so much for dropping by today. Thank you, Tom. And go to uh, ratsreformcongress.org. It's a fable, but it's quite serious. Congress is how we can turn this country around. Laurie in Portland. Hey, Laurie, what's up? We called our Congress people and Nancy Pelosi, my 20-year-old son, and I. Good on you. I don't know that it's so much racism that's not getting him impeached that because he's white. I believe that it's in part because of the narcissism, because I was in a relationship for many years that took me many years to get out. And I saw the destruction when I was in support groups of people fighting. And you had to hire special lawyers, specially trained medical people in trying to uh, sorry, um, you had to hire specially trained people in order to get around the crazy making that the narcissists do. And I see him doing that with our entire country. So, so are you saying, Lori, that Trump is essentially an abusive husband and America is the long suffering wife who keeps, you know, following the cliche or the stereotype, keeps going back for more or doesn't stand up strongly enough? Yeah, and it's and how I see him just keep getting away with what he's getting away with. I've seen yeah. people in support groups whose husbands or wives would had no interest in the kids, but as soon as they draw, brought up divorce, they were in court over and over and over for fighting for custody of the kids because sure. it was the chaos that they thrived on. And one other thing I'd like to say is that one of the sayings in the support group is that they're really smart, but they're really dumb. And what I mean by that is he can do all these things and build all these companies, but it was the dumb things that would bring these people down, like emails and, in Trump's case, stating out loud, well, yeah, so maybe I did have a conversation. Right. Those are all the things that time after time would bring these people down. I feel like that's finally what will do it for Trump, is he's going to say one too many things because he doesn't think he has to follow the rules. That's how they are. From your lips to God's ears, Lori. <laughs> Let's hope so. I, you know, I, I, you, you, you make a strong and compelling case. And the idea that Trump 
A, has been an abusive husband, that's, that's what Ivana, his first wife, said. B, that he's doing it to our country, I think that's brilliant. Lori, thank you. Lynn in El Segundo, California. Hey, Lynn, what's on your mind today? Hey, I got my turn. I called Nancy Pelosi and my rep, Karen Bass, and when I called Pelosi, it's just a recording, and you can hit one to leave a message or hit three if you have questions, and then I hit that one, and I ended up getting referred to the website. So it's kind of like a runaround. Mm. I was kind of disappointed with calling Pelosi, but anyway, I left a message, and I called my rep, and I frequently her town hall meetings and phone town halls, too. And for the first time, I didn't get my standard answer. We need to wait. We don't have the votes for impeachment. We're, let the committees do their investigating. Instead of that, the staff member just said, I have no public statement right now. And I asked, well, when will you think you have one? He said, we don't know. We're waiting. So wow. I kind of think something's in the works. Yeah. Who is, who's your member of Congress, then? It's Karen Bass, and she's on her way up in leadership. She's the chair of the uh, 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 Black Caucus. Mm -hmm. And um, and uh, so anyway, so that's what happened when I called. And I wanted to say something about the uh, uh, Kennedy uh, running for Senate, uh, challenging Markey. I, I thought, you know, maybe he's thinking Elizabeth might win the nomination or maybe get a, a VP position. And if so, her position, her seat will be empty. And therefore, I want my name out there. So maybe people will put me in her spot. I just thought, you know. Yeah, I thought that, you know, that, that came to my mind too, Lynn. But I think that doing it the way he's doing it, he's, he's going to hurt himself more than help himself. But, but again, I live in Oregon. I, you know, I, I don't know Massachusetts politics. And the Kennedy name is huge. Huge. Um, yeah. And then there's also the the argument that, you know, Markey's in his 70s and Kennedy's in his late 20s, early 30s. And and he's kind of the next generation. And, and you know, it's a generational thing. And um, yeah, I just but, wish he was more productive and did more, pass more good bills. I think he's kind of riding on his name and not not really the progressive that we need there. Yeah. And by the way, while I was waiting to speak to you, I wrote out 23 checks. I'm donating to very progressive candidates that uh, even they're challenging the Democratic incumbents. I know the Democratic leadership doesn't like that, but I wrote one to Mark Gamba. Mm. Oh, great. <laughs> so, I yeah. Just, yeah, we need to we need to fight on. And uh, like Elizabeth Warren's bumper sticker, dream big, fight hard. That's all. Yeah, <laughs> I'm with you. OK, thank you very much. Thank uh, you. Good thank to you. hear from you. I appreciate it. You're listening to Tom Hartman. Until last year, I'd never endorsed a weight loss product, but I decided to change that after reading about university research into a molecule in olive oil that regulates appetite. Louise convinced me there was one product that was worth sharing, and a year later, I have to say she was right. Louise said once her appetite and cravings were under control, losing weight was easy, and she's kept it off. And now my producer, Sean, is trying Ridgizone, too. Sean says Ridgizone is the easiest diet supplement she's ever used. Just one capsule with breakfast and forget it. No jitters, no hunger stranglehold, no cravings. And best of all, in, after just a short time at Ridgizone, Sean says her favorite genes are a lot more comfortable now. The only ingredient in Ridgizone occurs naturally in the body and is completely non-stimulant. That appealed to both Louise and Sean. I'm guessing it will to you, too. With Ridgizone, Sean says she feels great and doesn't miss her sugar cravings. Listen, if you're looking to lose weight this season, I strongly suggest you give non-prescription Ridgizone a try. Use the promo code TOM, T-H-O-M, and get up to 65% off plus free shipping. Go to Riduzone.com. It's R-I-D-U-Z-O-N-E.com. R-I-D-U-Zone.com. Riduzone.com. Promo code TOM. Riduzone.com. 
Woodenville, Washington. Hey, Paul, what's on your mind today? I don't know if you saw this on Morning Joe. They were interviewing the three Republican candidates other than William Weld, Joe Walsh, and Mark Sanford. Yeah, I did see it. Asking them about one thing. Apparently, several states have canceled the Republican primaries, Alaska, Arizona, and South Carolina. And William Weld said with regard to this whistleblower incident, as well as that Trump is now rigging the primaries, just exactly what he accused both the Republican and Democratic primaries of doing in 2016, William Weld said that he, Donald Trump suggested he is guilty of treason, and he said the U.S. Code prescribes the death penalty for treason. And I think, Tom, I might be wrong, but as I recall, that method is by firing squad. So essentially, William Weld has suggested on national television that Donald Trump should be shot. Now, yeah. I would never say that on your, on your show. I would never say that on a radio show because that's just way too sensitive, and you'd probably have to dump that call. Yep. But now it's out on national television. Yeah. Yeah, no, I saw it, and I, and I thought, boy, he's really uh, going for the headlines here. A, I don't think being shot or anything like that is specifically part of U.S. code. But, you know, the death penalty has always been among the penalties for treason. I would suggest that back in the day when the Constitution was written, that lethal injection was not one of the prescriptions. Yeah, 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 absolutely. Absolutely. Although they did, you know, they hanged people as well. But but the bottom line is, A, I am not wishing the death penalty on Trump or anybody else. I think the death penalty is an ineffective penalty. But number two, I view that, Paul, as William Weld trying to grab a headline. I mean, he's just, he, he, you know, these guys are not catching any traction. Nobody's taking them seriously in the press as serious challengers to Trump. And I'm not okay. sure that what he hurt himself in terms of being taken seriously by saying that rather that, than helped himself. That's, that's possible. But what I'm trying to do is I'm trying to compare that if a Republican candidate is willing to go that far, then, and where are the Democrats, with, even with regard to impeachment? That's what I'm trying to set right. up the two comparisons. Well, that's, that's essentially what Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez said over the weekend. Is you know She tweeted that the real scandal here isn't what Donald Trump did. It's that the Democrats are not holding him accountable for it. And neither are the Republicans. And that's, uh, you know, it's unprecedented. I heard it, somebody say earlier this week that this Congress is unprecedented in what they're not willing to do. And, you know, the whistleblower thing has gone from last week, Thursday, Friday, from he denied it to saying it's none of your business to saying so what and then when he started saying it was a lovely call now he's even admitting that he knows which call they're talking about yeah bob in skokie illinois hey bob what's up i understand that the house does have the ability uh basically to cut off funding for various departments in the government and i think that's one of the things yes and no they can't they can't just cut it off they can refuse to renew it Okay. They could pass Secondly, legislation cutting it off, but that would require the participation right. of the Senate and the signature of the president. Oh, okay. Uh, thank you for informing me on that. Secondly, and I think this is a novel thought, I think Pelosi should not only come out in favor of impeachment, but she ought to make the point that Trump is so lawless that it might very well be that the House will have to impeach him multiple times between now and Election Day next year. Huh. Because he is that way. He is, he is continually um, doing things that could lead to impeachment over and over again, and they're adding up to such large numbers, and we don't know what's coming next. Yeah, or multiple censure resolutions or whatever. I mean, yeah, you know, going I mean, back to David Leonard's piece. 
Yeah, he certainly has committed multiple crimes. And, and, and the thing is, he keeps admitting to it in public, and that somehow gets him a pass. It's just, it's mind-boggling. Bob, thanks for the call. Elizabeth in Lowell, Massachusetts. Hey, Elizabeth. I did call about Pelosi. Okay. Because I support her tremendously, and I think it's ageism. The, so you think that criticizing the, Pelosi for not impeaching Trump is a criticism of her age? Yes. Why? I do because they're not listening to her when she has proven she is effective in the Congress. She has put legislation through. If She, she certainly has. Looking, She's been very effective she, at getting things right. done that she sets her mind what to. Makes, what makes you think or out of these callers think that they know better than she does when she's saying, hold on, wait, we don't have the votes. She yeah. knows what the votes are. You're and right. I you're right on she, that, Elizabeth. And it may well be that she's that she's playing, uh, you know, essentially a long game here of no, I don't want to do it. No, yeah. I don't want to do it. No, I don't want you know, sort of a brer rabbit in the briar patch kind of thing. You know, uh, oh well, okay, I guess I have to do it because he actually did collude with a foreign power to try to get dirt on a political opponent, and you know, it doesn't get worse than that. I mean, that's right up there with the Rosenbergs or something like that. I, you know, that is treason. You know, agreeing with what Bill Weld. Elizabeth, your point is well taken. Thank you for the call. Hey, Tom Hartman here. Just wanted to give you a heads up that we have an absolutely free newsletter. You can subscribe to it over at TomHartman.com. And every day, Sue, who works on our newsletter, puts together what we call Sue's Daily Stack. It's literally a link to every story I have referenced on the air in the program. And she compiles these throughout the program and then gets the newsletter together and it goes out an hour or two after the show is off the air. And it's just absolutely extraordinary and something I think you'll find really useful. So check it out at TomHartman.com. This is the Tom Hartman Program. Our book today in the Tom Hartman Book Club is a Revolution of Values by Jonathan Wilson Hartgrove, the subtitle Reclaiming Public Faith for the Common Good. This is from the introduction titled Moral Clarity and the Fog of War. Since the late 1970s in America, political operatives have invested money and energy in framing the cultural concern of conservative white Christians as the moral issues in our public life. This framing was the explicit agenda of many of the organizations that built a religious right, but it has become commonplace across political and religious divides in America's public square. Whether you agree with them or not, conservative white evangelicals serve as the spokespersons for morality on the evening news. This was not always the case. Just half a century ago, the most famous religious leader in America was the Reverend Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. In the context of the civil and human rights movement of the 1960s, Voting rights, equal protection under the law, economic justice, peace, and the environment were widely recognized as moral issues. Americans from different racial and religious groups certainly did not agree on how to address these issues, but they were consistently addressed as moral issues. I grew up in the Southern Baptist Church in the 1980s and the 1990s during the heyday of the moral majority movement and the emergence of the Christian coalition, both of which mobilized conservative white evangelicals to join the Republican Party and hold on to quote, traditional values. In that context, I learned to understand myself as a Christian at war with the dominant culture. Anxious that our way of life was passing away as the world around us became more diverse, my white evangelical culture taught me to turn to the Bible for solace and direction. As in any battle, our leaders argued about strategy. Should we seek political power to influence legislation or try to influence popular culture? Should we engage more in public life 
or retreat to spaces where we could avoid the culture's corrupting influence? Should we attempt to use culture, try to change culture, or even build a counterculture? These questions animated a lively debate within white evangelicalism for decades. But amidst the back and forth about strategy and tactics, most people came to agree that Americans were, in fact, at war. James Davison Hunter, a sociologist attuned to the ways elites and institutions were shaping public conversations in the late 20th century, named the phenomena in his 1994 book, Culture Wars. Quote, America is in the midst of a culture war that has had and will continue to have reverberations not only within public life, but within the lives of ordinary Americans everywhere, end quote. Describing the institutions that had lined up across from one another in American public life, Hunter noted the historic divisions in the nation had shifted. Religious people no longer divided themselves along the denominational lines that had shaped public engagement for most of American history. Increasingly, Hunter observed, Americans saw themselves on one side or the other of a war be between traditional morality and progressive values. This wasn't just about left versus right in politics, though the culture wars inevitably shaped where people stood with regard to partisan issues. The divide between orthodoxy and progressivism was more fundamental, Hunter argued. People on each side increasingly understood their way of seeing the world as fundamentally incompatible with their enemies across the battle line. In the realignment that Hunter described, Americans who looked to the Bible for moral authority were asked to line up against progressive values and policy proposals that sought to expand rights and alleviate poverty. In the name of defending traditional morality in a biblical worldview, I was taught to fight against policy proposals that were advocated by marginalized and vulnerable sisters and brothers who were crying out for justice in public life. On the front lines of the culture war, many who had committed to follow Jesus as Lord realized we had been deployed to fight against the people through whom Jesus promised to be present in Matthew 25. How did white Christian nationalists wrest America's public moral narrative away from the civil rights movement and persuade many people of faith to defend white cultural values in the name of Jesus? This question has haunted me since. As a young man on my way out of the religious right, I met black Christians who taught me another way of following Jesus in public. 20 years later, after the election of Donald Trump, I wrote Reconstructing the Gospel, Finding Freedom from Slaveholder Religion to say what I had learned from the black-led freedom movement about how white identity politics distorted American Christianity's understanding of everything from personal salvation to shared public witness. But as I taught that long history in churches and seminaries across the country, I quickly realized that slaveholder religion's more recent impact on American public life was the pressing concern, not only for Christians struggling to understand public witness, but also for the wider American public that simply could not comprehend how white Christians who claimed to be concerned about morality could stand by a president who was so obviously and egregiously immoral. I wrote this book both for those who share my experience in white Christian institutions and for the many who do not, because the false moral narrative of the tradition I was raised in has impacted everyone caught up in the American story. Revolution of Values is a search for clarity on behalf of a people who lost our way in the midst of the culture wars. Such confusion was not uncommon in the fog of war, veterans remind us. A sensitive and discerning judgment is called for, Karl von Clausewitz writes in his famous treatise on war a skilled intelligence to send out the truth. My methodology has been to send out the truth of what happened to faith in public life by examining the political and economic interests that invested in winning the political allegiance of white evangelicals in the late 20th century. The book, Revolution of Values. 
Matt in Somerville, South Carolina. Hey, Matt, what's on your mind today? Yes, Tom, I just wanted to say that what's happening here is that these criminals have created enough chaos and hiring and firing people too many to investigate. And in the meantime, they are ripping our treasury off and they need to be taken into custody. Yeah, although taking somebody into custody requires a criminal conviction. At the very least, the head of this crime operation, Donald Trump, Mike Pence, Bill Barr, at the very least, need to be impeached, in my opinion, and probably Mike Pompeo as well. I'm with you. Matt, i got to move along, but thank you for the call. It's a good one. Mike in Columbus, listening on WGRN. Hey, Mike, what's up? Hey, Tom. Sounds great. Um, yeah, I, I guess the other thing that's come out of this for me, I wasn't aware that Joe Biden needed this to suggest that we needed to impeach. Uh, the president. I mean, this, didn't he read the Mueller report? I know you're not the answer man for Joe Biden, but yeah. I, I wasn't aware that he was waiting for more information before he would support impeachment. Well, uh, I mean, apparently he no is. matter who, but <laughs> apparently he yeah, is. I mean, I'll vote boo no matter who. Don't get me wrong, but yeah, that really drops my opinion of, of Joe a bit. I, yeah. I don't know what he was waiting for. Well, yeah, this is kind of you know throwing shade by damning with faint praise. You know, I get it. I, know, I get it, Mike. Yeah, Mike, I'm going to move along. But thank, thanks for the thanks. call, Roger in San Francisco. Hey, Roger, you got our last minute of the day. What's up? Great, thanks, Tom. I'm thrilled to hear that impeachment might really happen. I have a question that I have never understood about impeachment, and that is, why can't the vice president step into something if the president is convicted? Well, that's how it happens. If the president is is convicted in an impeachment hearing, if he's removed from office, convicted in the Senate, then the vice president automatically becomes president. Oh, so does that mean then that all the conversations about that, you know, Trump can shoot somebody aren't correct? We'll find out. I mean, that was Trump's claim. He's the one who said, you know, I could shoot somebody on Fifth Avenue and people would still support me. I think people would still support him. Question is, would he still be president? Roger, thank you for the call. It was another great call. We'll be back tomorrow. We're closing in on Thursday. Thursday is going to be a really consequential day. It's going to be a big deal. This is going to be one huge BFD day. So uh, stay tuned and pay attention. We'll fill in a little more of the detail. In the meantime, don't forget, democracy is not a spectator sport. It requires you. So please, get out there, get active, tag, you're it. We'll see you tomorrow. Have a great afternoon. You've been listening to Tom Hartman. For audio and video archives, visit TomHartman.com.